All right. Uh, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be de dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true, which never changes. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, the speaker and the hearer alike, through your word. We give you praise and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, I'm going to be speaking to you about united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. We're going to speak a lot about what it means to be united with him in death and in resurrection. And um, our text today, we find Paul battling in the beginning of the text with a question. And the question that he is battling with is because of what he said in Romans 5, which I'm going to read to you. In Romans 5 verse 20 and 21, Paul had said, Moreover, the law entered um, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is then continuing in chapter 6 and asking the question, if that's the case, that where sin abound, grace abound more, should we then live in sin so that grace abounds more? This is where we find Paul. So he is asking that question that should we live in sin so we have more grace? Is that what that means? After all, if God loves sinners, why worry about sin? If God gives grace to sinners, why not sin more so we get more grace? You know, it's, it's, grace is that free and unmerited favor that God has given us. It's free. It's unmerited. We've never gained it. We didn't do anything to gain it. It's given to us by God. It's like when somebody gives you a birthday present, do you then open your wallet and say, how much did it cost you so I can pay you back for this? No. It's a gift. It's unmerited. You didn't need to do anything to receive it. 
But then the problem with, with that is that some people then start to think, I've read that already, some people still start to think that when they, it is their job to sin then, and it's God's job to offer grace. And so they're like, why not we continue doing our job sinning and let God do his job giving us grace? It sounds like a sweet deal. But that's not the case. The grace of God is not cheap. The grace of God cost Jesus his life. The grace of God cost Jesus separation with God at death. The grace of God cost his son's life. It is not cheap. This mentality that I see up here of thinking, yeah, we do our job, continue sinning, and God does his, is, is a very dangerous mentality because it's a mentality that cheapens what Jesus did on the cross. God's grace is expensive. It cost his son's life. Before I go further, I just noticed I saw Joe and, and, and uh, Janice up there. Hi, friends. So good to see you guys. Um, Joe had been with me at youth for many years, and he had been there before me and has been a blessing to this church in so many ways. So good to see them in Fort Wayne for a weekend. So then we ask ourselves, when people abuse then God's grace, people will say then, oh, we live the way we please because there is grace. So in a way, in that secular viewpoint, this is a secular viewpoint, in that secular viewpoint, it, great, grace is is dangerous in a way. It's a scandal. This is the reason why some people are afraid to teach about grace. This is the reason why some people are afraid to teach about grace, but unfortunately, they are losing out because grace is what makes us to be able to be conformed to the image of Christ. We cannot do it without grace. And so in that process, in this ideology, people miss out because they are afraid of that. What will happen if we tell people about God's grace, they will do whatever they want. It will motivate them to do whatever they want. All right, let's leave that for a minute. Paul says here that if we... If we continue to live in sin, I'll come back to grace, but I want you to think about this in conjunction to that. He says that the problem here is our continuation to live in sin. He makes it clear that this is not somebody who sins as they, as they live their life and they fall into sin. It's somebody who continuously live in sin. That's what Paul is talking about here. He says that people who practice sinfulness as a habit. And then he gives the answer, certainly not. We cannot continue living in sin. That's a very, that's a very strong phrase, certainly not. I don't know how many of you have used that to your kids when they've done something, when they're asking for something that you know is a definite no, certainly not. That's a very strong phrase. And that's what Paul uses here. Then he says, for you are not under the law, but under grace. This here means that we can live in freedom when we walk in grace. It is never a legalistic performance, but it is walking and knowing that we are living under God's grace. And grace 
not the law. Grace provides us the freedom and the power to live a life free of sin. It is not the law. So we might be afraid to talk about grace because we think people are going to take advantage of it. But we, want, we need to realize that the grace that we're talking about, the grace of God is the fuel that helps us, that gives us the freedom to live free from sin. Amen. Sorry, I get so distracted when I look around and I see people. Good to see you, Bob. Good to see you well, my brother. God bless you. Sorry, I, I love people, so I get distracted. But let's go back. Come back, come back, Sims. <laughs> the grace of God is what gives us the power to live. And so some people start to think, is then what is grace then? Grace is not, this is what grace is not. Grace is not a license to sin. When we start to treat living under grace as an excuse for sinning, that tells us we have not experienced the grace of God. We've experienced something else, but not the grace of God. When you have experienced the saving grace of God, there is change in your life. There is something that happens. The grace compels you not to walk in sin. Not to walk in habitual sin. Paul is not preaching perfection here. He's he's preaching the idea that we then do not willingly give ourselves to sin. Spurgeon, one of my favorite writers, I got a book this morning for my birthday that, has, that is written by Spurgeon. I'm excited to get to it. He's one of my favorite all-time preachers. Spurgeon says, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. If the grace that you've received is a license to sin, it won't, it won't save your soul. It is not the grace of God. The grace of God compels us The grace of God within us, the the, the gratitude that we have when we understand the grace compels us. Not to follow rules, not to avoid punishment. It compels us to please the Father because we delight in him. When we delight in him, Psalms tells us that delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we delight in him, then he places the desires to please him in our hearts. Grace operates that way. That is the grace of God. He realizes that on our own, without, our del- without delight in him and him placing these desires, the desires that we would have will be contrary to him. So he says, desire, when we, when we place When we desire him, when we want to be him, when we delight in him, then he places those desires to walk and to please him in our hearts. Grace that does not change my life is a grace that will not save my soul. The grace of God changes our lives. When you encounter the grace of the risen Jesus, your life is changed, changed forever. So somebody might ask, as I've said, Paul, is he, is he talking? What, what is he talking about, really? I want to put on two more scriptures that would help us understand what Paul is talking about. This is John now. And John goes on and says, no one who abides in him, this is from the Amplified, who remains united in fellowship with him deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. 
No one who habitually practices sin have seen him or known him. It's the habitual practice that Paul is coming against here. It's the knowingly, deliberately carrying on when we know. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what Paul was talking about. That's what John is talking about here. So it's the same idea. In verse 9, John says, I'm going to skip that verse and go to verse 9. He says, no one who is born of God, deliberately knowing and habitually practices sin, because God's seed and his principles, his principle of life, the essence of his resurrection, righteous character remains permanently in him. Who is born again? Who is reborn from above? Spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose. And he who is born again cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin. Because he is born of God and longs to please him. Grace makes us long to please him. When we encounter the grace of the risen Jesus, we long to please God. Next point, we are dead to sin. Coming back a little bit to the Easter message, we are dead to sin. We died with Christ in sin. It says, a life of habitual continuous sin is unacceptable. It's very unacceptable because our death to sin changes the way we relate to sin. When you have died to something, how can you continue to live in it again? When you have died here in Fort Wayne and we've buried you, how can you continue to live in Fort Wayne? Paul tells us that our old self was crucified was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The effect of being crucified with Christ means we are not slaves to sin anymore. And Paul tells us that sin is not our master anymore. And then he goes on and says, when you have died with Christ, recon yourselves dead to, to sin. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of sin. Our death with Christ is our freedom from sin. I want you to remember this. When, when we have become united with Christ in his death, we cannot go on living a life that is unchanged. If we continue to live in a life that is unchanged, we have not been united in Christ in his death. The effect of his crucifix, crucifixion of us makes us free from slavery of sin. It makes us not to be slaves anymore. Because we are united with him and we have died to sin, we cannot live in it any longer. Our death in Christ means freedom from sin. That is why Paul says, recon yourselves dead to sin. 
Do not let sin reign in your mortal body because you are a master now of it. You're not, it's not the other way around. You are the master now. So you make the decision. And he says, recon yourselves dead to sin. Number two, he says, do not let sin. You are the master now. You can let sin reign or not. And he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Then he goes on and he says, do not present yourself. You are free now. You don't go back and present yourself to your old master. Christ has died and you have joined him in death and you have died to sin. You are free. I am free. I am a free man because of Jesus dying on the cross for me. But the story does not end there. That's a great news. And sometimes we sit there and we, we wallow there and we think this is it, this is it. Yes, it is. But the story does not end there. He rises again in the newness of life. The old man, Paul says, has died. The old man that is fashioned and, sh and shaped after Adam and the fall has died, has been crucified with Christ and buried. The Lord tried to reform the old man to change him, to make him better, but it couldn't. But grace realizes that the old man can never change. It, the old man needs to die for a new man to live in Christ. Grace gives us that opportunity to see and to experience this new man who lives in Christ after resurrection. There is no place for the old man in a believer's life. The new man wants to please God. The new man lives and desires to please God. The new man is raised with Christ to newness of life. This newness of life is not just the church part of life. It's newness of life in every area of our lives. It's newness of life in how we parent. It's newness of life on how we, we communicate with our spouses. It's a newness of life on how we, we, we talk to our neighbors and friends and relatives. It's a new, behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone he is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. In our death and resurrection with Christ, there is newness of life when we rise again. When Jesus rose from the dead, his body would not die again because there is newness of life in him. And the Bible tells us, it's exciting for me, I'm sorry. The Bible tells us that we are with him, we are united with him in this. Not only in the death and, and, and burial, but also in the resurrection to this new man. That's exciting. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what would excite you about the good news of Jesus. And then Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. When we walk in the newness of life, there is holiness, there is joy, there is putting off the old self and putting on the new self, suiting up 
to become all that God has called us to be. And that happens when we rise with Christ and when we take this new life in Christ. We are united together with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. God established this union between us and Christ. We didn't do it. God did it for us because of his love for us. God counted our sins paid for on the cross. God counted us resurrected with Christ on Sunday, on Sunday morning. What happened to Christ in God's eyes happened to you and me when we received Jesus. It's amazing that we don't realize this, but I want you to realize this. Our participation in the death of Jesus makes our participation with him in resurrection something that cannot be disputed. Galatians 2.20, my favorite scripture, the whole world. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm resurrected. I was crucified with him and then I'm resurrected to a new life in him. Colossians 2, 12 to 13 says, I've been buried with him in baptism. In that way, you are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses, and uncircumcision of the flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. He has made us alive with the risen Savior. We are together with him. Second Timothy 2.11 says, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Jesus lives. He's alive. And we are resurrected with him. We have the seed of resurrected life in us. I know some of you think, yeah, but we're going to die again. Yes, Paul speaks about that and he goes on to say that, yes, we are resurrected with Christ and we are seated in the heavenly place with him. He says, so as he is in heaven now, so we are here. But also he goes on and he says, there is going to still be a resurrection when this mortal body takes on the new incorruptible immortal body. There is resurrection of life and life in us. When we experience the resurrection, we experience freedom. The reason why we don't experience this sometimes is because of our unbelief. Also, it may be because of our self-reliance. We love to rely on ourselves. I can do this. But we are not called to live it that way. We are called to live by grace. And grace speaks about each day. What does Jesus say to his disciples? If anyone wants to follow me, let him pick up his cross daily and follow me. It is a daily exercise. It is a daily choice that we make. And I want to encourage you as you make that choice, that remember each day you wake up in the morning that I am risen with Christ. And therefore, because I'm risen with Christ and there's there that seed of resurrection in me, there's the will and the desire and the wanting to please God because I love him because he loved me first. If you are a Christian, God created a union between you and Christ 
Because of this union, you died with Christ when he died. Because you died with Christ when he died, you are now free from the guilt of sin in your fullest true identity. That is your union with Christ. And because of this unshakable identity that we have now in Christ, you are justified. And you are going through sanctification. And yet, you're still not perfect. But that's what grace is for. Therefore, I want to remind you guys that we can confirm this transition that happened on that cross and on Sunday when the grave was empty. We, conf- we, 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 we confirm that by recording ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. We are really in Christ. Christ has set us free from the power of sin and death. His resurrection has given us all that we need for a life of godliness. The empty cross and the empty grave remind us that death has been conquered. Our old man and his ways have been conquered. But behold, the new has come. And when the new has come, there is newness of life. There is walking with God, not under rules, but because we desire him, because he's the sole desire of my heart. When he becomes the sole desire of my heart, I seek to please him. When he's the sole desire of my heart, I seek, I yearn to be with him. There is a book that John Piper wrote, Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist, wrote it in 1986. And he's speaking about this very thing. And he says, Christ and those who are in him will never die again. If this is true, number one, if this is true, the power of death is broken and the root of bondage and fear and death is severed and we can be freed. Number two, if this is true, you don't need to get to the, on the top in order to be a success. Number three, if this is true, you don't need to run away from the trouble and, and live in fear that he who has the most toys win. It's not the case. If he is risen and is not going to die again, you can rejoice in persecution for righteousness' sake, for great is your reward in heaven. And then he says again, for every loss you have endured for the kingdom, it will be made up for you a thousandfold. If he is risen for real and you are with him, there is no ultimate risk in the cause of truth and love. Nothing can defeat you. If he is risen again, the decay of your body is a prelude to glory. If he is risen You'll be made completely whole with no impure, no struggle, no lust, no greed, no fear, no inferiority, no cowardice, no painful memories, no paralyzing shame, no addiction. You will live a life of freedom if it is true that he is risen. If he is risen and he is not to die again and we are risen and not to taste death again, it is, it is true then 
that there will be no mourning, no crying, no tears, no pain, no former things. All the former things would have passed away because he is risen and he is alive. John Piper goes on and says, if he is risen, every injustice will be rectified and every evil will be recompensed and every wrong will be made right. And lastly, he says, if he is risen, and those who are in Christ will rise with him, never to die again. And God will be our God and will be his people. And the glory of the Lord will be our light and our joy forever. He is risen. Amen. He is alive. And so we have risen with him. The worship team can come forward. We, we, we are risen together with Christ. Brothers and sisters, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive. Alive to God. We are alive to God because he has risen with all power and authority. Death could not hold him down. The biggest enemy for men was sin and death, and it could not hold him down. And in his resurrection, he joins with us, he unites with us, and we are one with him. Praise God, he's alive. His grace is sufficient for us because he is alive. We walk in the newness of life because he is alive. Woe to you, or shame on you, if you haven't had this connection with Jesus. It's going to be hard. And today, there is an opportunity. Before we can close, there is an opportunity for you if you have not made this commitment to Jesus. If you have not asked Jesus to come into your life, you have not given your life to Jesus. If you have not picked up your cross and followed him through his death into his resurrection. If you have not experienced this life of freedom, and at the moment you experience a life of bondage to sin, you're experiencing a life of bondage to addiction. You're experiencing a life of bondage to, to many other things. He's saying, come. There is freedom in him. You cannot do it on your own. We cannot do it on your own. It is by his grace. It is by walking with him and experiencing this life-changing, soul-saving grace. If you haven't done that today, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, I invite you that today is the day of your salvation. We celebrate on Sunday because we celebrate the risen Christ, who is not only just risen, but risen with us. He leads us in perpetual victory because we have won the victory with him. We were united with him. And I encourage you, if you haven't made that decision, today is your day. It could be now when, the, when we sing and worship and pray together. If you want to make that decision, you can come forward to the side of the aisle and kneel down here. One of our elders is going to come and pray with you. We want to lead you to this loving, saving, life-giving grace that Jesus offers to you and me. As we are, as you see me here today, if it weren't for his grace, I wouldn't be here. It is all by his grace. It all by the price that he paid. And he paid the same price he paid for me. He paid the same price for you.
And only what you need to do is to say yes. That's all you need to do. Say yes, surrender, and he'll do the rest. He's in the process and in the business of changing lives. And he wants to change yours and mine today. And if you later you decide, well, as you're walking out that, oh man, I should have done that. Come up here, one of the, come and see me, come and see one of the elders, come and see Ryan. Can the elders lift your hands so people can see you? Come and see one of the elders or see Ryan. And they'll come and pray with you and they'll lead you. We want to lead you to that saving grace of Jesus because he loves you so much. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a resurrected king. You have risen with all power and authority and you've called us to partake in that resurrection. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for, the, for your grace being the vehicle for us to partake in that newness of life. We give you praise and we honor you. Thank you, our risen King. We celebrate you today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>